right, we're going to gather back in, get started on our second service. Um, just a few announcements. Uh, camp registration, uh, all of the camps that's now open, uh, actually family camp is open today. If you are looking to go to family camp, let me know. I can get you the link to sign up and register for that. Uh, youth camp will open tomorrow, so I do need to meet with the youth afterwards so we can get you guys registered. Um, all right, and ladies, less than two weeks, we have ladies retreat. If you don't have a room, I did see this morning that there are some available. So if you want to still go, act fast. Talk to Sister Parker. She has the information on what rooms are available. So it's not too late. You can still go, right? All right. And then May 14th, we have men's prayer and breakfast at 8 a.m. here at the church. All right. Hallelujah. All right. We're going to get started with worship.
for that victory. Lord, that promise. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. As I journey through the land, singing as I go, pointing souls to
to that day that I can see you face to face. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah in glory. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It's your face I want to see. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. This who for our sorrows offers comfort and relief, bringing sunshine to the dark and shadowed life. Saying softly, cease repining, lift thy soul above its grief. Let the peace past understanding still the Come and save me. Don't the people care? 
Praise God. Can we worship Him for just a moment, church? He is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our praise. Hallelujah, Jesus. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. And I can't wait to see you. I can't wait to see you, not through a glass darkly, but face to face. Hallelujah. The one who suffered on a cross. The one who died for me. The one who paid the price for my sins. The one who provided all of my needs. Healed all of my hurts took care of every situation, saved my soul. Hallelujah, Jesus. I do worship You. I do praise You today because You are worthy, because You are inherently worthy. Hallelujah, Jesus. You have wrought wondrously in our lives. You have wrought gloriously in this place. Hallelujah, Jesus. You are my King. You are my Lord. You are my God. I give myself to You today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. He's an awesome God, church. He is an awesome God. I wish, I wish that human beings, we as human beings, had the capacity to understand the God that we serve, the God that we worship. I wish, I wish there were words to give proper meaning, to give proper value when we say that God is good, when we say that God is awesome, when we say that God is holy. But we don't have the words. We don't have the tools up here to to really grasp what God has done for us. So sometimes I think we just stumble around in the dark and we praise God because that's what we do and and we thank God because He's worthy and He's done great things. But it's so easy to forget what God has done. It's so easy to forget His goodness and it's so easy to get our eyes off of Him and onto whatever it is we're dealing with in the moment. As much as possible, church, we can't allow ourselves to get to that place. We have got to remember who God is. We've got to remember what He's done. Don't remember the... (laughs) Don't remember the one thing He said you can't do, like Adam and Eve. Don't become fixated on that. Get fixated on the million and one things He said you could do, could be. Praise God. I love worshiping Him. I love Him. I love who He is. I love what He's done. I want to be like Him. I want to model my life after Him. Amen. Amen. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. I know you're not supposed to say this, but It is a familiar passage to most of you. So I'm going to say it anyway. Mark chapter 10, 17 through 22. The Scripture says this, And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good Master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? 
And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and thy mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way. Sell whatever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Amen. I want to speak for a few minutes on this topic. Are you a chicken or a pig? Are you a chicken or a pig? Let's ask God one more time to bless this service. And that His will would be accomplished. Lord Jesus, You're an awesome God. We give glory and honor unto You and to You alone. Because only You are worthy. Only You are Lord. Only You are God. You are altogether sovereign in this and in every place. We declare it here this morning. That Your perfect will would be accomplished. That You would impose Your will upon this service from this point forward. Because You are the King of kings and You are the Lord of lords. And we submit ourselves to You today. Let Your name be glorified in our midst. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Praise God. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. I'm sorry that everybody wasn't able to attend the home, homecoming service we had for Brother Bell yesterday. Uh, those that were here, you understand what a beautiful and awesome service that was. What a, a tribute and a testimony to a great man of God. A lot of things were said about Brother Bell, and the more I, I hear about Brother Bell, and the more the service went on yesterday, the more I was sad that I never really got a chance to know him. By the time we came here, he was already in the, the hospital, and, and COVID was going on, and I couldn't get in to see him, and so it just, it just never happened, and that saddens me because... I think we could have become really good friends. He seemed like an awesome guy and a great man of God. But one thing really struck me uh, that was said, and uh, the only reason I'm, I'm bringing this up specifically is because it was brought up specifically yesterday. I don't mean to embarrass anyone or, or anything like that, but uh, Brother Terry Rapids uh, uh, wrote a note, uh, some things that he wanted said, and the uh, the early years of the church, uh, when Brother Rapids and Brother Bell were here nights and weekends after a full day of work, uh, cleaning up the place and getting it fixed up, and and <laughs> Brother Rapids and other people trying to persuade. Brother Bell, no, don't buy this building. Don't do it. Please. But he did. And they got to work and turned it into this. And others of you uh, came a little bit later and sacrificed and gave of your time, your, your finances. And... We enjoy this place today. There's church here today because of men and women who sacrificed and who gave. That struck me. 
because I fear as I as I consider people in general, as I consider the, the state of our society today, I fear that those men and those women are becoming extinct. Men and women who will put a need above their own. Men and women who will give sacrificially, give when it hurts, not because they want to be noticed. These men never wanted to be noticed. The sacrifices that you have made. You don't do it because you want your name up here or a plaque or anything like that. You do it because there's a need, because there's a greater cause in front of us that has to be accomplished. And you catch that vision. And you're willing to give, you're willing to sacrifice, not just money. <clears throat> there's a tale that goes something like this. The farmer sat down to breakfast with his family and he was going to enjoy a nice home-cooked breakfast and he looked at his sons he said, Boys, do you know why I love my pigs more than I do my chickens? They said, no. The farmer looked at his plate again he said, well, the chickens are involved in my breakfast but the pigs are fully committed to it. Involvement will cost you something. Being involved in something always costs something. You got to buy a ticket into an event, you got to buy a book, a study guide, you got to you got to spend time going to something and coming back. It's going to cost you something. But commitment to a cause is going to cost you everything. Everything. Maybe not literally, but in our minds, we've already given it. It's already gone as far as we're concerned in the hands of Jesus Christ. Commitment means you're taking ownership of something. It's the old adage, renting versus buying. When you're renting a place, statistically, you're going to get it back worse than you gave it. That's not true all across the board. When my wife and I were renting, we always tried to be a good witness and, and give it back better than, than the, the condition we received it in. <clears throat> and I think the Lord blesses us for that. But statistically... Renters don't take very good care of the property. I know people who rent. You probably do too. They are horror story after horror story after horror story. Never pay the rent on time. A couple months late. And then when they finally, they finally go to check on them, they're gone. Spray paint on the wall. Holes busted all over the place. Water sitting on the carpet. And who gets to pay for that? The owner gets to pay for that. Why? Because the owner is committed. He's not just involved in the place. He owns it. She owns it. No one else is going to do it. 
It's my property. I have to do it. And so they do it. They've taken ownership of it. Instead of finding excuses not to do something, you're finding excuses to get it done instead. Instead of, let's apply it to us. Instead of looking for excuses to miss church, you're finding excuses to get to church. Instead of finding excuses not to pray or not to read your Bible, you're finding reasons that you should pray and that you will read your Bible. We can always find excuses to do whatever it is we want to do. We can find excuses to not do whatever it is we don't want to do. You don't have to look very far. If I don't want to do something... You can, you can wake me up in the middle, middle of the night and I'll find five reasons why I shouldn't be doing that. It's easy. Shake <laughs> me out of a five-year coma and I can come up with three reasons. But I should be finding reasons to get it done. To accomplish something for Jesus Christ. To move forward in Him. We can always find excuses, but we need to find the right ones. We look at the account of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 through 7 states this Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Okay, fair enough. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together under the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then an herald cried aloud to you, it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, <laughs> sackbutt, psaltery, dulcimer, that's a funny sound, you got to admit that, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had, hath set up. And whosoever falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. <clears throat> Therefore, at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Okay, so, the story thus far is going like this. The sovereign ruler of all the land, the king, the judge, jury, and executioner, the executive, legislative and judicial branch all get together in this one guy and says, this is what we're going to do. Is that a legal decree for King Nebuchadnezzar to make? Absolutely it is. So far, everything's on the up and up. It's perfectly legal. No one's going to get up and say, uh, King, that's an illegal command. Because for King Nebuchadnezzar, there are no illegal commands. How cool is that, huh? So this is perfectly legit. It's perfectly legal. 
And as such, the people were legally bound to honor the edict of the king, right? They were the subjects of the king. He was the sovereign. They're the subjects. So, so far, so good. Everything's going according to plan. The king made a legal decree. The subjects are obeying that legal decree. Okay. Moving on. Verse 8. Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. Whosoever falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. Okay, reminding the king of his decree. We do that with Jesus, right? We remind him of his decrees, his promises. So far, so good. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Uh Uh-oh. The king has just been made aware of some lawbreakers. The king made a legal decree. It's the job of his subjects to obey that legal decree. These three individuals were not obeying the legal decree. And the king has just been made aware of it. What is the sovereign king to do? Let's continue. Then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music ye fall down and worship the image which I have made? Well, but if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the, self, the same hour into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Okay, so we see some things here. The king was angry. He was upset. Someone disobeyed me. But he was feeling merciful. He was feeling merciful. He was willing to give him a second chance. Maybe there's a misunderstanding. Maybe you didn't fully understand the command. Let me, let me explain it to you here a second time. If you fall down and worship the image that I've set up, well, good, fine. No problem. We're going to move on here. But if you don't, now that I know you understand... You're going to be disciplined. You're going to be punished according to the law. So he's willing to give him a second chance. Why weren't the Jewish men submitting to this legal authority? Why weren't they submitting? Didn't they understand that this isn't the way to win someone to God? This isn't the way to do it. This is being a bad witness. Right? This is a very poor witness not following the the laws of the land. How are they going to be able to influence these heathen this way? Huh? This isn't the way to influence our society. Doesn't God want us to be happy, comfortable, blessed? Why would God put me in this situation in the first place? 
Why would he do that? Let's move on. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Wow! What insolence! What arrogance! Speaking to the king that way. Couldn't you be a little bit more subtle? Couldn't you be a little bit more seasoned with grace? No way, no how, no sir, I ain't doing nothing you just said. What's their problem? Why are they so disobedient? Well, of course, there's only one problem here. The king's law is in direct opposition to God's law. The Jewish men wanted to follow the laws of the land, and they did, up until the point that they couldn't anymore. When it started to violate God's laws, because God's laws always supersede man's laws. Always. Every single time. I don't, care, I don't care what area it is. You don't have to pray about it. You don't have to go through a 12-week Bible study about it to determine who, gets to, who, who supersedes who. Who has the ultimate say? Who has the final authority here? It's God. 100% of the time. Every time. God's law supersedes man's law. The Jewish men did submit to the laws of the land in accordance with God's law. Up until this one point. They didn't try to escape. They submitted themselves to the punishment in accordance with the law. That didn't contradict God's law. They submitted to that. We see in the New Testament, the apostles... They would not stop preaching and teaching Jesus because that was God's command to them to do exactly that. But they submitted themselves to stripes. They submitted themselves to imprisonment. These Jewish men were committed to the law of God. Not to peace, not to comfort, not to happiness, and not to material gain. They were committed to God. They were committed to the truth of God's Word. And their commitment standed no matter what. They had no idea if God was going to save them or not. They had no specific promise here. God didn't come down and tell them, if you stand up for me, I'm going to, I'm going to protect you here. They had nothing. They had a general revelation of who God was. They knew His character. He definitely can. He's done it in the past. But if He doesn't, that's fine. He's still God. I'm still submitting to Him. 
They were committed to God. They were committed to the truth of His Word no matter what happened. Verse 19, Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his vistage was changed against Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, and their hats, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was so urgent, and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonied. He was stunned. And rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said unto the king, True, O king. And he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake, and said, Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. And Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire. And the princes, governors, and captains, and the kings, counselors being gathered together, saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was the hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them, as if they were never there. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him, and have changed the king's word, and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the god of Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no god, there is no other god that can deliver after this sort. Then the king promoted Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. In some context of this story, I find it hilarious. I find it hilarious for this one reason. Every reason that most people would use to not stand up against the king, he brought to pass because they stood up against the king. Because they stood up for righteousness. Because they stood up boldly for the commandment of God. I can't serve God or my fellow man if I'm dead. God protected him and kept him alive. Still able to serve. If I'm combative with my faith, no one will respond to me. Kind of true. You don't want to be a jerk about it. You don't want to ram it down people's throat. But at the same time, we ought to assert that the Bible is true. We don't need to apologize for that. There is no reason for us to apologize when we're preaching and teaching God's truths. It's not your truth. It's God's truth. You're not making this stuff up. 
If the situation were different, I doubt any one of us would respond to this in the first place. We wouldn't come up with this. If you want to be first, you've got to be last. If you want to be a great person, you've got to be the servant of all. There's no way any of us would come up with stuff like that. No. This isn't ours. This is God's. This is God's truth. This is how God established His creation. His creation was established on principles based on His character. That's how it runs. That's how it operates. And when you try to, to set up anything that runs contrary to that, it's like trying to run a lawnmower on water. Put water in the gas tank and see what happens. Well, I want it to run on water. It's cheaper. Okay. You can, you can wish and hope all you want. But it ain't going to run. At best, at best it's not going to run. At worst, you're going to destroy it. Yeah, you could, you could electrolysis. You could run it on hydrogen. <clears throat> but when you try to run contrary to God, the way God has established and ordained things, against God's truth, you break things. Lives are broken because people try to run their lives contrary to Scripture. The three Jewish men were polite. They submitted to the punishment, but they would not compromise truth. And because of that, everyone listened to their message. Everyone heard it. And everyone responded to it. God was glorified and He was exalted in all the land. Because they were combative with their faith. They refused to back down. They weren't combative. That's not being combative. That's being assertive. That's taking a stand for truth. God doesn't want me to face that. He wants to bless me. <laughs> if I had a dollar for every time I'd heard something along these lines, God just wants me to be happy. Just follow your heart. Yeah. Just follow your heart and you're going to be happy. That is the single worst advice I have ever heard in my life. Follow your heart. Okay, well let's compare that to Scripture then. What does Scripture say about my heart? Should I follow my heart? No. No. It's going to lead me astray. It's going to lie to me. It's going to tell me things I want to hear. But they're not true. You can run that on water. Just pour it in and start it up. You'll see. Just run it on water. And then things break. Well, God did bless them. And He promoted them, but only after they demonstrated their faith and their commitment to God first. But this time, it happened God's way. It didn't happen because I wanted it. They weren't looking for a blessing. 
They weren't looking to get their names recorded in, in Scripture. They were nobodies. They were Jewish captives in service to a Gentile king. They were nothing. They were, they were a cog in the wheel. But they were doing what they knew was correct. They were doing what they knew was right in the sight of God. Despite the fact that God had let them become captives here, despite the fact that they were in service to this heathen nation, they still did what they knew was right. And God blessed them for it. They did it God's way. And God blessed them His way. Amen. If we look at the Scripture text, this is used oftentimes when people are hesitant to give of their finances. I don't believe we have that problem here. I think, I've said that before, I'll say it here again, this is one of the most giving churches I've ever been a part of. And I mean that. Holy Ghost is my witness. This is one of the most giving churches that I've ever been a part of. And I can't thank you enough, and I know, and I continue to pray that God blesses you because of it of our finances. We know that the rich young ruler had a weak area in, their, in his life, don't we? And Jesus nailed it. He cut to the heart of the matter and He just nailed it. Give your money away and come and follow Me. Well, that was like tapping on a raw tooth nerve. You ever been in the dentist? And they did... What does that feel like? Uh, uh. Okay. More Novocaine. <clears throat> I can't stand that feeling. I can't. Sometimes it feels like that, though, when we come to church. Something's said, and God just right there nails you. That's what He was doing with the rich young ruler. Our problem area is not money. Our problem area is time. That's our problem area. I don't doubt that money, financial concerns, were the prevailing problem with the Jewish nation as a whole. He talked a lot about money. An awful lot. And I know the Jewish people have a stereotype with money. I understand all that. But... I think, seriously, it was probably a problem for the, the Jewish nation. Our problem as a nation isn't necessarily money. It's time. We place a value on time far above money. I know I do. I would rather give a hundred bucks to a, a charity and move on than donate an hour of my time helping them serve food. It's a lot easier. To do that. As a country, as a people, sometimes I feel like we worship time more than anything else. Our time is more valuable to us than anything else. And for some reason, too. Because of the way things have structured themselves in the United States, 
first world Western nations, people are really busy. They have to be really busy to pay the bills. You know, when my, my parents were growing up, when their parents were growing up, dad worked and mom stayed home. He didn't really have to work any overtime. I saw a study a while ago, and this is probably not relevant, but it's coming to my mind. When my grandparents purchased their house, they paid, I think, $5,500-$6,000 for their house. You can't buy a used car for that anymore. That represented, I think it was, like 0.01% of their annual income or something like that. It was a very low, that's, that doesn't sound right, but it was a really low percentage of their, their gross income. Today when you buy a house, it represents pretty much all of it, your income. It's a significant portion of your income. To say that income hasn't kept pace without go. The bills got a lot bigger, a lot quicker than our income did. And so now we have to work longer hours, overtime, grab a second job. The spouse has to go to work, sometimes getting a second job, just to make ends meet. Why are we so busy? Well, that's a part of it. So I understand that. I'm a part of the same society. I get that. Jesus asked the rich young ruler a question. If he was willing to get rid of all of his money, all of it, and come and follow me, doesn't he need money to live? Yeah. Yeah, he needs money to live. When we put anything before God, though, it becomes the object of our worship. It becomes our God. When we're choosing between time and God, and we choose time, folks, that's the object of our worship now. Let's make a little substitution into our Scripture text and see what that looks like. Mark 10.21 Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, give all your time, all that thou hast to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. What do we think about that? And maybe it's not time. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's a loved one. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it is money. I hit time because that's our biggest issue. And I've heard enough comments about it to be concerned about it. I know people have jobs. I know people have to work. I know there are bills to pay. But let me ask you a question. 
Can God provide a better job? Can God bless you with more money? And spend less time at work? If you'll purpose in your heart to put God first. Can God do that? Will He do that? If we put God first, is He able to free up more time? We know the, we know the principle about giving of our tithes and offerings. We know the principle. Pressed down, shaken together, overflowing, shall God give into your bosom. We get that. We hear that a lot. And it's true. And I'm thankful for it. But what about other areas of our lives? What happens when I give my time to God? The first fruits of my time. Can I expect God to bless me in return for that? The answer is absolutely. Absolutely you can expect that. The same promise applies. When I give the first fruits of my time to God, when I give the best parts of my day to God, I have more time at the end of the day. Just like when I give my tithes and offerings, I have more money at the end of the day. Sometimes I have no idea where that money comes from. It's just, I didn't think we'd have enough, but now we have enough. It's amazing. And what happens to my wife and I more is the fact that things just don't run out. Things don't break. Things don't wear out like they should. We consistently get 70 plus thousand miles on our tires. Yeah, on a 50,000 mile tire. Before anything, before anything looks like it has to be changed. It's amazing. It's just really cool. And that's God. That's God. God can literally withhold or, or suspend the laws of entropy in this universe to bless His people. He can do the same with time. We can't do anything about time. We have, we're stuck on the time stream the seconds are going to tick by whether you want it or not. Pretty soon it's going to be an hour in the future. What happened during that hour? Whatever happened, but it's gone now. Last hour is already gone. Can't get it back. Except God. When I, when I tithe, if I can say it that way, when I tithe and give offerings of my time to God, He blesses my time. I have more time. I have more quality time. When I do things God's way, when I put God first in every area of my life, He blesses it. He blesses me. Not always the way I would like Him to. Not always when I would like Him to. But the promise stands. He blesses me for my obedience. He doesn't have to. He doesn't have to bless me. Let me... We all know this verse too. Luke 17, 5 through 10. He says this, And the apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. We want our faith increased, right? God begins to answer by saying this, The Lord said, If ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye might say unto the sycamore tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. But he hasn't answered the question yet. He just said, if you had that much faith, it would be enough. But then he proceeds to answer the question. And it's a weird answer. 
But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by, when he has come from the field, Go and sit down to meat? And will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup and gird thyself and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink? Doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. In other words, I don't think so. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded, you say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. And I'll close with that. Or with this. Do we want more faith? Do we want to be used mightily of God? Well, do what these three Jewish men did. Commit yourselves to God unreservedly. Commitment. Commitment is a curse word in today's society. Nobody wants to commit. It's scary to commit. Because now all of my options are off the table. I love options. Oh, I love options. I love having 27 different things to choose from. And the time to sort through all of them and determine which one is the best. I hate having 27 options and I've got to make a choice in 10 seconds. But I love options. But when I choose an option, the other 26 are now off the table. They're not an option anymore. When you're investing money, I got $1,000 to invest. If I invest that in real estate, I can't invest it in the stock market anymore. I can't invest it in gold anymore. I can't give it to my Uncle Alfred, who's going to start a multi-level marketing company. And we're both going to get rich. I think only, only us older people know what that even is. <laughs> anyway. <clears throat> so when I commit myself to God... I can no longer commit myself to the things I want to do. I can't have both. In, in many areas, they're diametrically opposed. I can't do the things I want to do and do the things that pleases God. Not all the time. Hopefully, as I grow in God and, and become more like Him, those things start to come together. The things I want to do become the things that please God. I hope and pray that happens sooner rather than later. More and more. But, when I choose God, when I put Him first in my life, when I tell Him, you can wake me up, you can keep me up as late as you need to keep me up, you can get me up as early as you need to get me up, and you have control of my finances, and I'll use my talents wherever you want me to. All of it. The whole thing. I can't hold things back. That wasn't the question God asked. He didn't ask me, are you going to give me a part of you? Just tell me which parts you're going to give me and I'll, I'll try to work with that. That wasn't the question. Are there any lawyers out here? You don't answer a question with a question. You answer with an answer. Or God could probably say, hey, I'm the one asking the questions here. <laughs> it's a yes or no question. 
Are you going to give yourself to me? Are you not going to give yourself to me? It's all or nothing. That includes my time and my finances and my talents and my hopes and my dreams and my plans for the future. They all go to God. I placed all of that in His hands because when I do that, things like what happened to the Jewish people here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, things like that start to happen in my life. When I put God first, especially, I was going to say even, but especially when I don't understand it. Especially when I think, I know you're omniscient, but this seems really off. There's a reason it seems off. Because I'm dumb. That's why, can I, can I just be honest? If I'm thinking stuff like that, I'm dumb. I'm stupid to think that I know more than God does. I'm stupid to think that I got a bigger picture than He does. Maybe you don't understand, God, but this is the way things are down here. Yeah, He knows that already. When I put Him first and I do things His way, then things like this happen. Things like this happen. Why did God answer a question about faith? with our response to obedience. I'm still chewing on that. That may be a topic for another time. But I think that's fascinating. In any case, what we know is this. You want more faith? Have a proper, proper understanding of our place in the kingdom of God. God is our Heavenly Father. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful I have this close relationship and walk with Him. I'm thankful I can come to Him at any time and in any place. But i got to understand something else. He's my God. He's my Lord. He's my Sovereign King. And I can't allow my close relationship with Him to muddy up the fact that He's my Sovereign. And when I approach Him, I better do it reverently. I better do it with fear and with respect. Because He's my Sovereign. He's the one that tells me what to do. All of His commands are legal. All of His commands are right. And as His subject, it's my responsibility to obey. Not to question, not to inform Him that maybe He doesn't know this. I don't have to counsel God. No one needs to counsel God. He doesn't need your counsel. He doesn't need mine. What He needs is my, my consent, my availability, and my obedience to His commands. That's what He needs. That's what He needs of me. And when I give it, everything works the way it's supposed to. The universe, my life, works the way it's supposed to. When I deviate from that, that's when things start to break. doesn't matter how much I want it to be true. doesn't matter how much I hope that it's true and convince myself that it'll probably work. Maybe for just a short time. Maybe I can run that on water one time. Just once. No one's watching. No one will know. 
it's still going to break. We need to understand all that we have is not ours. We understand we're stewards of our treasure. We're also stewards of our time. And when we give Him the first fruits, He gives back to us. He really does. I can, I can testify to that. He does. Whatever you give God, God is no man's debtor. He will not be in debt to you. You give Him a penny, He gives a dollar. And that applies across the board. We've got to get this idea of sacrifice out of our head. We don't sacrifice. We do what is expected of us. We do what is required of us. We feel like it's sacrifice. We feel like we're going above and beyond. But again, when I feel like I'm giving more than I should and I'm going above and beyond duty, I'm in danger of being stupid again. That's not the case at all. I don't ever sacrifice. I do what's expected. I do that which is my duty to do. Amen. So we understand. Scripture teaches us everything is God's. Everything we possess is God's. We possess nothing. We're stewards. We are stewards of all that we have. And whenever God wants it, He has the authority to get it. Now the good thing about that is God's not an ogre. He's not. He loves you. He wants the very best for you. If He gives us something, or if He takes something away, it's for a very specific reason. And that reason always ends up being for our best. Our absolute best. When God does anything in our lives, it's for a reason. And we have to get to the place where we trust Him no matter what. Or we start trusting Him for everything, no matter what. No matter what we're going through. Our circumstances do not disprove the promises of God. Our poor circumstances do not disprove or somehow negate the goodness of God. They don't. If you continue to do what's right, as the three Jewish children or men did, you will discover that you're in that situation for a reason. God has a purpose for that. And when you do what you're supposed to do, God comes in and fills in the rest. Isn't it comforting to know that all of this isn't predicated on our ability? That comforts me every single day. That all of this isn't hanging on my ability to organize, my ability to motivate, your ability to to lead or to follow or to pray or to, to do whatever it is that we need to do. It's not based on your ability to do any of that. It's based ultimately on God's ability. 
Do we have responsibilities? Absolutely we do. We do need to pray. We do need to fast. We need to take care of the things He has told us to do. But when we do that, God comes in and He fills in the rest. Whatever God's plan is, He's going to make up the gap. We do our little part, He does the rest. That's how it's always worked. But when we try things our way, when we do it according to our plan, and worse yet, according to our emotions, our desires, following our hearts, things derail fast. Let's stick to the plan. Let's stick to Scripture. Let's submit ourselves to God in every area of our lives. And let's see what God will do with that. Amen. Let's all stand. Amen. God is the good God. All of God is good. We know that He's the God of mercy and graciousness and compassion and love, and we're thankful for that, and we worship Him for that. We also understand that He's a God of justice and holiness and righteousness, and I worship Him, and I thank Him for that. In all of it, Our God is good. In all of it, our God is perfect. And He wants the very best for you. We don't have to understand it. I encourage you to try. I encourage you to seek understanding. I do. I've always tried to understand everything I see in Scripture. And I love the process. I love digging things out and discovering new things in God's Word. I love that. But there are some things we're just not going to understand down here. And that's just the way it is. We don't have the tools. We don't have the equipment necessary to to grasp what God is trying to do in this circumstance or that situation. And that's okay. He's still sovereign. And we can still trust Him. When God tells us to do something, when He asks us of something, asks something of us, we can do that. We don't have to question. We don't have to be afraid. Well, if I give this, I'm not going to have enough. We've all thought that before. When God asks a, a significant amount of our money. He wants us to give some of our savings, or He wants to give us wants us to give some of our time. I'm not going to have enough. I'm not going to have enough time if I do that. I'm not going to be able to get these things done that I need to get done. God is asking that. He already knows what you need to get done. If God is asking this money of you, He already knows what you need to do with that money. Do we trust Him or don't we? That's really what it comes down to. When we submit ourselves to God, we're telling Him that we trust Him. I trust you with my time. I trust you with my finances. I trust you with my very life. It's yours to take. It's yours to give. I'm thankful every day I wake up. But one day, I'm not going to wake up. Said the Lord Terry. That's just how it works. That day is up to God. It can be tomorrow morning. 
It could be today. It could be 100 years from now. The more I think about it, that would be awful. But (laughs) if it is, he could do that too. It's up to God. God is sovereign, not us. He's in charge, not, not we ourselves. So let's give these things to God. Let's give everything to God and let's see what He'll do with it. Let's see what miracles He'll, he'll perform when we give Him our few loaves and fishes. Let's see what He'll do with the little bit of time that we have remaining. Let's see what He'll do with the, the few dollars we have left over at the end of the month. Let's see what He'll do with that. Amen. If you would, let's come to the front for just a moment. If you feel like maybe I do have a problem in one of these areas. Maybe I have put one of these things before God. Well, that's a real simple thing to take care of right here, right now. We can purpose in our heart to not put that thing in front of God anymore. We can tell God that He's sovereign. We can repent. And we can move forward in Him. Amen. God needs to be on the throne of our heart. God needs to be sovereign in our lives. He needs to have the final authority. We cannot be allowed to argue with Him. We cannot be allowed to ignore His voice. We cannot be allowed to offer alternatives. That's our Western thinking getting in the way. God is not an elected individual. He's a sovereign God. He's sovereign inherently. That means because of who He is. And the truth is, everyone is going to submit themselves to Him at some point. Everyone will. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. God is giving us an opportunity to do that now, today. So that He can bless us and work with us and in us moving forward. Amen. Let's pray for just a little bit here this morning. Lord Jesus, I am so thankful for You. I am so thankful for Your so great salvation. You set the example for us in every area. When You were here on earth, You set the example. You gave selflessly of Yourself for people. People who didn't know You. People who weren't grateful for what You did for them. People who weren't thankful for their healing or their provision. You ministered anyway. You sacrificed anyway. You hung on a cross and died anyway even though there are people out there that spit in your face, that hate you, that hate your laws, you died for them anyway. You gave of yourself everything. Help us now, moving forward, I pray, to follow that example, to give everything of ourselves 
Now, you may never require everything from us, but it's got to be on the table anyway. In our hearts, Lord, we have to have given everything to you. That question has to already be settled in our hearts and in our minds. Because if the time does come where you're asking me to give everything, I need that question already answered. I need that already settled in my spirit. Help us today, I pray, the people of God, your children. Help us this morning, I pray, to settle that question in our hearts today. That it doesn't matter what you ask or don't ask of us. We will submit ourselves to your authority, the sovereign God. And we will obey because it is our duty to do so as subjects of your kingdom. You have issued a legal command. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. I pray for your people this morning that you would comfort them, that you would minister unto them, that you would draw them nigh unto you today. forward to great things. I'm looking forward to awesome things of an awesome God, but we've got to do it your way. We've got to do it your way. We will give of ourselves first. We will demonstrate our faith to you first. And then we will see what you will do. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. God corrects His people because He loves them. He corrects me because He loves me. looking back at my walk with God. I am so very thankful that God has corrected me. That God has not been afraid to demonstrate or to show me through whatever means necessary that, dude, you're wrong. Fix it. My dad was always very comfortable letting me know you did that wrong. Take care of it. Do it right. Our Heavenly Father loves us enough to correct us. For some of you, this is probably just good preaching, good teaching, already doing it. For others of us, Others of us needed to hear that. I love God, but He loves me a whole lot more. I want Him to have permission to speak into my life. I want Him to have permission to tell me, things are going great, you're doing good. Or, you need to fix this. 
you need to take care of this. Why would he tell me that? Because it's going to lead me in an area that he doesn't want me to be. It's going to create in me something he doesn't want to be there. Why does God give us laws and precepts? They're boundaries, they're protections for us to keep us out of areas we ought not be in. He loves us. He loves us. Amen. I am so looking forward to seeing what God will do through His people. Praise God. God bless all of you. Thank you so very much for your kind attention. Please remember,